want to do is talk to you about what it means, perhaps the best definition would be what it means to live in the John 15 passage. So Jesus said, um, if you remain in me and I remain in you, and there's that kind of a vine and branch connection where the life flows through me into you, you will bear fruit. You will. Even if you don't have all the skills that the church growth teaches you, you will bear fruit. Even if you face challenges that make no sense to you, you will bear fruit. There's no limitations. If you stay connected to Jesus, there's no limitations of what His source of strength, presence, power flowing through you wouldn't be able to do. In the end of that John 15 passage, one of the, again, kind of, what do you say? Moments is when Jesus says, and I wanted you to bear fruit that will last. And that's probably, should be a bit uh, disconcerting to us. Like, it should make us a bit uncomfortable. How is it you could have fruit that wouldn't last? And, and yet I think we see it all over the church world. You know, you're probably aware, and just, you know, we'll just mark some things up here, but most of the stuff you're aware, people typically go to church in our culture about two times a month or less. So twice a month, the average person is going to church. And, the, and what we decided, you know, what, what a church decides to do is, let's be more creative so they'll come back again. And how good can you speak, Pastor, so that you can make them want to come back? That's a crazy thing. They're making that choice at two times a month. That's a choice. And you won't be able to convince them by your Sunday gig. I don't mean that disrespectful, but I'm trying to cut through our culture. You, that's not how you get that to happen. You get that to happen when people begin to hunger for the presence of God that they choose to come back. But what we've done in our church culture is we've emphasized how do I grow a church instead of how do I live in the presence of Jesus, help other people do that, which is actually what it means to make a disciple, so that then other people start seeing the difference and they start, actually the book of Acts starts coming alive in our midst and people start saying, we can see the love you have one for another. We can see the life that you're living is different. My observation is that in this two times a month, the average pastor gets up and says to the people, you should invite their, your friends. And that, that happens all the time. And we, we kind of get a, an emotional whip out and say, invite your friends, invite your friends, invite your friends. And again, the statistics say that if people are invited by a friend, they probably come to the church, or at least they'll probably stay if they come to the church. There's still a smaller percentage than you can't invite everybody. They won't all come. But the problem still is that the, the people who we're telling to invite to church have no presence in them. And I don't mean that they're not lovers of God. I'm not, actually not saying that. I think there are many people who think they love God. I would actually challenge that their allegiance is not to Jesus. Uh, it's to everything else coming and going in their lives, chasing their kids' behaviors and chasing all the stuff that they do in their lives. That's kind of what most of them are. So consequently, 
when these people, when we say to them, you should be, to use the word that Jesus says, have salt in yourselves, you should be salt in the salt of the earth, that kind of stuff. You should be salty. And most of the people sitting in our churches are saying, I don't know how to be salty. I wish somebody would be salty to me. So then we say, then our next response to them is, well, just go tell people what God has done for you. And what would that be? Because they don't know. Now, they know the stock answers. I've been saved from my sins, but they, they actually haven't experienced that for a long time and have no clue how to do that. And so if you'd ask them, so what's the difference that Jesus makes, His presence makes in your marriage, they got no answer. Oh, it tells wives to submit. If you're a husband, that's pretty cool. Right? I mean, we get it all so twisted. So ultimately what we're doing, and this is my opinion, so there you go. What we're doing wrong is we're chasing a church growth instead of chasing the presence of God. And if we chase the presence of Jesus, we would experience His transformation so different in us that nobody would have to tell us to go do stuff because we'd want to. Isaiah chapter 6, fascinating passage. Isaiah stands in the presence of the Lord, and I see the Lord high and lifted up. He's in there when a king dies, when his king dies. So he's probably in a crisis situation. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. And he sees his glory, sees the whole train uh, filling the, the temple. And there's details in the passage that ought to be paid attention to. The uh, cherub are flying, and they're saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord. The whole earth is full of His glory. Interesting enough, Isaiah is going to speak to the whole earth. So the prophet needs to have this experience in the presence of God, because when he speaks to the Egyptians, he can say, and the whole earth is full of His glory, and you don't get to decide because he decided. And that's written right in the passage. So Isaiah, in this moment when the, the seraph and the cherubim are flying and saying, holy, 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 the full, whole earth is full of His glory, he's going to need to know that very soon. And you know, the, you know probably the passage, the bottom line is, then he sees the Lord's holiness and he says, woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips and I dwell among people of unclean lips. There's a, uh, they bring the... Uh, Coal, they touch his lips, say, now you're cleaned. Here's the thing. Isaiah doesn't leave the presence once he's clean. But we do. We kind of have this experience where like God showed up, then we go running off to the next thing. But he doesn't do that. He stays in what we would call the divine conversation. And he hears the Lord say this next thing. Who can we send? Who will go for us? And the guy who's seen the Lord high and lifted up and who's had his sins cleansed says, I will. And he raises his hand. And then the Lord says, okay. Go and tell these people, be ever seeing, but never see. Be ever hearing but never hear. 
God just said to Isaiah, this is your assignment. You'll be toiling or uh, tilling the ground, but they're not going to get it. Sometimes in our world of church consultations, I keep asking people, so if you were to be a consultant, because we, we've got this down, sorry, I get a little s sarcastic here. <laughs> we get this down to where it's so easy for us to tell people what to do in our consulting roles. How would you consult Isaiah? What would you say to this man? To grow your church, dude, you've got to what? Speak better? What did the Lord say to him? You're going to keep speaking and they're not going to hear. To, and, and Isaiah is still in the conversation. The first, who will go? He answers. The second, this is going to be the way it is. You're going to, they're going to be ever seeing, never seen. And finally, Isaiah asks the next question, how long? The answer, till the city lies in ruins. Ain't ever going to change, bro. Now, what are you going to say to Isaiah when you're giving him a consultation? Well, you need to be outward focused. That ain't going to work because they're not going to hear it anyway. It's the presence of God that he has to live in. And so if you read the rest of the way through Isaiah, he actually does speak to the nations because the whole earth is full of his glory, which means he lives in majesty. It all belongs to the Lord. So he actually does do that. And Isaiah keeps getting these words from the Lord. And maybe that's the missing piece. We're not actually hearing the voice of Jesus. Or if you want to say it, the, the voice of the Spirit. Speaking to us. Personally. Interpreting our world. Telling us that we have a hard assignment, but we can do it. Telling us that our assignment is hard, but it's valuable in the kingdom. Telling us how much He loves us. And we're pretty good at hearing His rebuke. But it's kind of hard for us to hear Him celebrate us. So we read the passage of Jesus, you know, this is my Son whom I love and whom I'm well pleased. And we think that's about Jesus only. And it was about Jesus. But we've forgotten we're sons. How great it is that we should be called sons of God, children of God. And that is what we are. So if we're God's kids, why aren't we experiencing God's blessing of hug and love and delight? And yet if someone, if I were to stop right now and tell you some of the things the Lord has said to me in His pleasure over me, you'd think I'm arrogant. But if I told you what my dad said, would you think I'm arrogant? You might think it. But, if my, but you know, again, it'd probably be probably connected to my dad. Well, that's kind of a dad-son relationship. But we lost that somehow. In our walk with the Lord, we've become really good church people and really bad disciples. And then we want our churches to grow, but the, the problem is there's no presence of God that is so attractive. And the average person who's outside the church says, your life's about the same as mine, only you go there and give money. That's stupid. And you can't do some of the things I do that are fun, so help me understand how's an advantage. And we actually can't answer the question because we really don't know. I mean, it doesn't take very long, I'm sure you already know this, that the world is moving away from the church. But that's not all bad. 
Because actually what it means is the church has to get back to its chase of God's heart as first. And that's when it will become attractive. And all these, again, I'm sorry, I get, I get sarcastic at some of these. Ugh, I'm being quoted here. I'm being recorded. I, I, I feel so frustrated at some of the programmatic answers that we have for people and all we're doing is putting shame on our pastors that, and our church people that they're not growing fast enough. Like, stay in the vine. You'll bear fruit. Fruit sometimes happens pretty quick, sometimes happens pretty slow, but you will bear fruit. That, he didn't say you might. You know, if you stay connected in the vine, you, you, it might happen. You got a shot. You might bear fruit. It's not what he says. You will. If you choose to stay connected, you will bear fruit. That's going to happen. And if you stay connected, you're going to get fruit that lasts. That's a guarantee. So I'm going to, I'm going to draw a triangle for you that I understand David's already uh, shared with you, which is cool. That's a good thing. But I want to tell you a couple stories first of me and, and my life, and they might be a little bit weird. Um, and I'm sorry if you, uh, I'm sorry if I miscommunicate and somehow or another it feels like I'm bragging to you because I'm really not. Um, but here we go. In 2014, I plant, we planted a church in Orlando that was crashing, and I just I couldn't get it going, you know. And I've I've had good success churches and non-success churches, so I get them both. Um, by the way, this is what's kind of funny. I'm the same guy in both of these. These people thought I was an idiot, and I agreed. These people thought I was God, and I disagreed. Like I don't know, I don't know why. Why is this church growing? I don't know. The, the one church that I was blessed to be a part of, I show up and in 30 days it grows 100 people. I'm, I'm, I am really handsome, in case you didn't know. <laughs> Why do, I mean, I, like, I don't know any of these people. How, how come they're coming? I have no idea. And then 60 days, it's another 100 people. It's like, this is crazy. I, who's inviting them? Well, I didn't. I don't know anybody. I'm just, you know, God's just blessing the place. And he's showing up and he's healing people and he's doing kingdom stuff. I'm the same guy in both. So the same guy over here that, you know, the church just took off and people are saying, oh man, how exciting, all that. Now here I can't, I can't fight my way out of a wet paper bag. I'm the same guy. So in 2013 and 14, our church starts to crash and it goes, our church plant and, it, you know, plants are, you guys know, need hands, you need money and... We're going the wrong direction. Less hands, less money. And in the journey along the way, I actually, by that time, was doing the state pastor role for Florida as well as planting the church. So I'm doing both roles, which economically allowed me to stay alive in this journey. And then I realized God had way more to, that, to it than that. But um, I'm actually in another uh, city than Orlando, and I'm, I'm doing what I call sitting in the presence of the Lord. So I'm just there to worship I'm in a Starbucks. There's nobody else there that I know. So I'm uh, writing in my journal, which is one of the ways I do it. And I'm going to read some scripture. But I'm, my writing slows me down, so I actually think about what I'm saying. That's the reason I write. Um, and it pushes me to say, well, what are you going to put? So when I don't know what I'm going to say, I have to think about it. So I started thinking about it off and on. Like sometimes I'll think, okay, so maybe I should worship you that you're holy. But I don't know what that means to me. So I have to think about it. And then I just start making a list of, 
Well, since you're holy, I can trust you because you're always good and you're perfect. Okay. So when my life's a mess and you're God over my mess and you love me and you're perfect, then I can trust you. Okay. I can figure that out. So I just, that's how I do it to slow down. And I'll think about like one day I thought about the cross. What is, what's the cross really mean? I mean, I know the answers, you know, but I just started writing and all of a sudden the spirit starts moving in me. It's like, you took my shame. You put a stake in the ground and said, I am worth it. Doesn't matter what anybody else says. They're wrong. Because in all of eternity, the creator of eternity, the creator of me, the creator of the world said, I matter. So I can choose to believe that. So I write all that stuff in my journal. You know, just sometimes it's half page and sometimes it's 16 pages. That's a little overstatement, but it can be six, seven, eight pages. Depends on how sloppy I write. Those kinds of things. Anyway, I'm in this place and I start writing and the Lord says to me, I'm going to do something different in your leadership now. Promise of God. Sounds kind of cool, right? And I said, I'm in. I don't know what we're talking about, but okay, I'm in. And there's a little bit of a time warp about a week or X amount later. By the way, one of the things I've learned to do is I actually date my journal now. So what I'm telling you is actually dated that day in March of 2014. You said to me, you're going to do something different in my leadership. And a week or two later, whatever it was, as I read back through my older journals, there's a different date, like in end of March or April now. And the Lord said to me, and I wrote... You want to do something different. Well, let me just give it to you. I want to do what I told you, but you're going to have to chase me like never before. And I said, I'll do it. I'll chase you like never before. So that'll be the priority of my day, most, most every day. I mean, some days, you know, crazy things happen. But I can't, I can't allow myself to get busy and not have significant time with God. I can't do it. So from that point on, in March or April of 2014, uh, I began to just regularly date my journals, and I'd show up. And sometimes it was three days a week, sometimes it was five days a week, until finally it grew to almost seven days a week, almost all the time. But like you, uh, some days I get up and the world goes crazy and I, I can't get there. Um, it's not a shame thing now. I don't have to earn my love. I get to go be with my Lord. So when I get to do it, traveling is one of the best things for me because I've got two hours on the plane and I don't know the people beside me. And so out comes the journal and this is like, let's go. I get to just listen right now. This is really cool. When we teach people to journal, one of the things that we teach them is that, and again, you don't have to journal. That's the way I do it. But sometimes you just need to go into the throne room and sit down and shut up. Don't give him your Christmas list. I'd like this and like that. And do, 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 and fix this and that problem. Would you make that person straighten up? Oh my gosh, my kid, pound him good. And my spouse, well, I can't say that. But anyway, so it's that kind of thing, right? I mean, we just, that's what we do. We talk the whole time. And sometimes you just need to go into the throne room and just sit and say, who are you? What is your kingdom really like? If I were to live in the kingdom, what would that look like? And how would the kingdom intersect that part of my life? And what would you have to say about my marriage? What would you want to say to me about my parenting? 
What would you want to say to me about my destiny? What would you want to say to me about my, some of my struggles? And that places of the flesh that I tend to fall. And I learned over time that because I, again, the writing isn't the real key. The real key is the slowing down. But then he could start speaking to me. And I could actually highlight it. Now, again, what does it sound like? I don't know. I can just tell you it just it feels like power in those moments. You know, when God speaks to you, sometimes he, I, well, sometimes he speaks in Scripture. You're reading the Scripture, and it jumps out at you. But again, Isaiah stayed in the conversation. He didn't say, wow, that's a really cool insight. No, you stay there. So when we're teaching people how to do this, especially pastors, we tell them, you've got to ask the second and third question. So when God begins to speak to you, what's the next question? So if I were to have a conversation with David in front of all of you right now, and I'd say to David, so tell me the kinds of things that you like to do on vacation. And he says, well, we like to go camping. If I say that's nice and change the conversation, it's like, dude, that's kind of rude. The next question would normally be, well, why do you like to camp? Well, I like it because my family gets to be connected. Well, what kind of things do you do then? Oh, we do campfires. and You see, I go down and down and down. That's what you do when you're having a conversation with Jesus. You just start asking the next question. But you can't do that if you're so full of your junk or you're running out the next moment. You've got to just slow down and ask him the next question. Does he always talk? No. No, I can go several days, sometimes weeks. And, you know, what, what do you say? I showed up. I chased your heart. That's all I know. And then what will happen is a week or, you know, maybe sometimes, as I told you, it can be a couple weeks later, and all of a sudden, the download comes. And he just starts talking to me about different stuff. I don't understand the rhythm, but that's above my pay grade. So all I know is I'm supposed to chase his heart. I'm supposed to be connected to the vine. And he said, if I do that, he'll take care of the rest of it. And so that's kind of what I do. When, I was, when the church was crashing in the same season, when it was March of 2014, when, I, when the Lord said, I want to do something different in your leadership, our church was really struggling. And I thought, I'm just a horrific church planter. What in the world am I doing? I don't know what I'm doing. I'm horrible at this. It's obvious. I'm, I'm so in shame. And I said to the Lord, let me do something. This is crazy. And I'm literally again on the plane. And he said to me, I'm going to quote it for you. You do what I told you to do, and if you never see the results, it doesn't matter. You obey me, and we're not going to talk about it again. Well, I asked the next question. Okay, so then how does a person like me plant a church when I don't like even doing the stuff church planters do? I mean, they're weird and... You know, <laughs> they're driven to try to get more and more people to show up because they can be successful and people like them and the money comes in, they can survive. Well, I get it. I, I'm totally there. Before, before the season of me doing both regional pastor, state pastor, and church planter, we had, we had seasons of half paychecks. So then there wasn't a backup income. It was, it was half, half there. So... So it's kind of hard to say to me now, Grace River, you don't want to pay the price. You don't know what you're talking about. I was here before you. Good chance I'll be here after you if that's your attitude. So, you know, it's like, no, you build credibility by trusting. I had to learn to trust the Lord 
to show up in those times. Anyway, so I said to the Lord, how am I supposed to do this? Again, dated and documented in my journal. This is what he said. You do life with me, John 15, and you tell other people how you do it. I'll take care of the rest. So from that point on, I just started trying to do life with Jesus, again, mostly in the journal, but I do it driving and thinking and all those kinds of things. Again, we say to our people at Grace River, turn off the radio on your way to work and ask the Lord questions. Don't do the radio gig. You know, just start talking. What do you want to talk to me about today? So that's, that's drive time that you can capture. That's Most people, if you drive 20 minutes to work, that's 20 minutes. It's like, well, why don't we use it? So, so from that point on, in 2014 at Grace River Church, I started doing life with God and telling other people how I did it. Until now, the church is it's about 100. It was down to about 60, now it's about 100. And it's loaded with people who walk in the presence of God because I've just told them how I do it. And then they ask me questions. Well, what, what happens if I don't hear? Join the club. You know, like, I, I don't know. I, I, I started telling people the kinds of things the Lord would say to me, and they started saying, how do you get that? Well, I do this thing where I sit in His presence and I start asking questions. Sometimes I read scripture and I ask, I, don't, I tell him, I don't understand what that really means. Like, I don't get it with my heart. Like, my head can get it. I don't get it. What are you trying to say to me? Help me understand the kingdom. So I'd do that. Sometimes I'd bring a problem and I'd say, Lord, I don't know what to do about my kid and what she's going through. Or I don't know what's going on in my marriage. How do I, how do I figure out what's happening between me and my wife? And I don't understand my energy in certain areas and my frustrations. And so I just, I just lay it before him. That's what I did. And so on, on a, it became that on a regular, it was normal, it doesn't mean it was every week, that as the Lord would talk to me, I would tell the people what He said. Just, that's what I do. To the point where finally some of the people in the church start saying, you know, He has a real gift at this listening thing. Think about what you just said. Anybody can listen. I don't have a gift. It, and finally I had a group leader that said, He's not gifted, He's just chasing it more than we are. And that's probably started most of the church saying, let's figure this thing out. If he can hear, doggone it, I can hear. And so more and more people started taking this journey. One of my guys in the church, his name is Nick. He, he got tired of me talking about this, and, and he was in a, a men's leadership group that I was doing. And so every Saturday morning from 6.30 to 8, every other week, because I'd meet with these guys, and we'd talk about what God is saying to us. He got so frustrated, he bought a, three, a spiral notebook and said, all right, I'm going to do this. He spent 60 days, I think, before he heard anything. He felt like, all I'm doing is autobiography. But when it blew open, his world changed. And it got so powerful that he decided, he has two daughters. One, one week, he asked the Lord a question about the first daughter, and he said, tell me what you want to say about whatever it was. He didn't tell me the content. And so he thought, I'm on a roll. The second week, he said, okay, let's talk about the next daughter. And the Lord answered that question too. Then he went to his wife and he said, this is what the Lord has told me about our kids. And she said, how are you getting this? He said, it's that thing Ken's talking about. <laughs> of sitting in the presence of God and it's starting to work for me. Like, okay. So now we do measure Sunday services. Like I can tell you about how many people we have there on Sunday because that's why I can tell you about 100-ish. But our biggest number is how many people we know are actually walking in the presence like I'm talking to you about. 
and that number is somewhere in the upper 20s of adults. So I have probably 25 to 28. That So in our Sunday morning service, we have like 70 adults in the service. That's probably about normal. So you can see it's almost half. Almost half of those people are that I know are actually practicing this thing. So I'm going to tell you one more story, and then I'm going to draw this triangle. And this might seem a little weird. Sorry. I think you'll get the picture of it, though. This summer, I met another person, another pastor from another state, and I was doing a, a, convent, a camp meeting in western Pennsylvania, and um, I met this other pastor. And I, I, you know, I, people ask me, what's the passion of your life? Presence of Jesus, helping people find how to get there, how to get in the presence of Jesus. If you can get there, the world is different. It'll always be different. And once you know how to do that, even when you're not hearing, you can just say, but this is the right way. I'm chasing his heart. If I chase his heart, he'll show up when he wants to. So this one pastor said to me, man, I want to learn how to do that like you do. And we started developing a relationship. And then they, they shared with me some things their kids are going through in teenage years and challenges like that. Anyway, about three weeks ago, I got a text. And the text is, my family's going through some crisis I'm asking you to pray for my son, period. I'm asking because I know you will. And I thought, I probably better do that then since they know I will, right? So, okay, I'm going to do it. So next morning, I do my, grab my Bible, grab my, I do it on an iPad now because I, I got so many journals. I was like, oh my gosh, I can't find this stuff. So I started doing it electronically so I could figure out because there's too much richness. I mean, when God speaks... It's good stuff. And so it's like, i got to figure out how to capture this mess. It's just amazing. So anyway, so I started doing all that. So next morning I do that. I'm sitting. I have, an, I have an hour before I have to leave, and then I have to drive an hour, and then I have a little bit of time before I get to the next place. So it's a weird day. But anyway, I'm sitting before the Lord, and I said, I'm asking you to reveal to me what you'd want me to say to your people. So show me what you want to say to this family and to this kid. And I'm asking you to reveal the right people they need to talk to and what issues are there and that kind of stuff. That's my prayer. And it's time to go. So pack it all up, put it in a briefcase, out the door I go. I'm going to drive an hour, and I got to thinking after I'm 10 minutes in, well, I'm here. You're here. You want to talk to me about that stuff I was praying about earlier? And he started talking to me about that stuff I was praying about earlier. And the first thing he said to me is, tell the kid what they're going through is destiny development. I will not take away the challenges that they're facing in their growing teenage years because they need to learn how to defeat it now for later on. I will not remove it. They have to, it's a battle. It's about their destiny. They have to win it. Figure it out now. You will fall some, but get back up. Do not, you know, what we're talking, we're talking about sexuality and, and being loved by people and fitting in the crowd, all that kind of teenage stuff that goes around. Figure it out now. See it as destiny development. That's pretty, pretty cool. Tell the kid they have significant destiny. This is for their development. So I write that down. Not while I'm driving, when I get to the next place. When I got to the next place. And so then, the next thing is, this, this kid has OCD. Um, and I heard some of that story when I was in Western Pennsylvania. 
So I just so here I'm in the car. This is why you've got to know some of the Bible to be able to have this discussion with God. I'm in the car and I'm driving and I said, you know, Lord, what would you like to say to me to tell them about the OCD? Because according to your word, we are fearfully and wonderfully made. And according to your word, when we were knit together in our mother's womb, you knew us. So this doesn't surprise you. But they don't know what to do. And I don't know what to do. So what would you like to say about that? And he said to me, tell the boy it's a weapon. Use it to chase me. You know how to get really focused. That's what happens in OCD. They get focused and can't use it to chase me. Leverage it forward. My gosh, what a God that would reinterpret OCD. To a kid, instead of being, you got a label, I got a weapon. That'll tell you. I got a weapon from my God because he has destiny for me and he gave me a weapon to fight these wars because he has a future for me. So I got to the halfway spot where I told you and I text all this or emailed it, I don't remember which, to the parent. The parent comes back and says, I shared it with my son and it blew him away. It blew me away. You know, it's like I've never thought about that kind of stuff. That's what happens when you just get enough time with the Lord. It's, again, you heard me use drive time. So I wasn't actually journaling any of that stuff. I asked, I prayed earlier in the journal and wrote, would you give me revelation? And 30, 45 minutes later, whenever it was, when I started driving, it's like, well, I'm here, you're here. Do you want to talk about it? And I had to just start thinking about, so what, what is OCD? So it's a problem in our culture, but do you have anything to say about that? And if, and if we're fearfully and wonderfully made, and if you are God of majesty and the God of every moment, as some songs sing, then... Somewhere you got to be in this. And if you're not in this, I got a weird sense of who you are. It like, doesn't make any sense to me. And I just I had to sit in that for a while and just keep processing it. Is that making sense? So it's, what, I'm, what I'm suggesting to you is, first, the biggest thing in your life is you, if you could experience his voice and... What does it sound like? Well, I don't know. And, and so when people start this, they usually start saying, well, how do I know if it's me or God? Don't worry about it. I mean, when I tell people, look, just start, ask God a question and just start writing. God, what do you want to say to me about my marriage? And I'll just start writing. She's good at this. We do this well. This is a challenge. I mean, I'll just kind of start data dumping and believe that somewhere he's going to take the pen and start saying, oh, this is what I needed to know. Because usually it's like, I, gotta, I guess, i got to get stuff out, and then he starts speaking to me. Sometimes, you know, sometimes the God will speak to you through Scripture. I mean, the Scripture will come to your mind, so you go read it. They don't just, you know, I was telling David today, there's an experience for me when I'm praying about a challenge I'm in, and I said to the Lord, I don't get this. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. He wasn't telling me, sit down and shut up. He was inviting me, go read the passage in 2 Corinthians 12. Let me show you. So I went and read the passage. Do you know what's in the passage? It's the passage where Paul says, I got a thorn. 
If you go back and read the passage, here's what's in the passage. That thorn was for his destiny. That'll get you to rethink a thorn. My grace is sufficient, for in your weakness my power is made clearer and stronger. So I need my weaknesses. And it's to keep you humble, Paul. So I, I need to be kept humble. Well, that's part of my destiny. What, it gives purpose to the pain. When there's purpose to the pain, it makes sense. And again, that comes when I'm just saying to God, I don't know what to do about this crazy challenge in my life. And he says to me, my grace is sufficient. He wasn't saying to me, shut up and sit down and do what I told you to do. He has done that, as you heard. But in that moment, he's saying to me, go read the passage because I want to reveal to you that I'm actually working destiny in your life. What? Well, I'm kind of thinking that destiny thing is working for me. I like it. So let's go. So can you work the pain? Absolutely. Let's go. I'll stay in the pain. So the picture is, and again, I know you've seen it. Probably ought to change color here. Is a triangle. And we developed this over time. I, I say we developed it. I really guess I need to tell you. Everything that we are doing right now, we have a ministry called Ignite to Pastors. It's about 50 to 60 pastors in Oklahoma, Arkansas, Florida, and Tennessee, and a few other places. And it has several different factors in it, which is more than you care to know right now. But the bottom line is, everything we're doing there has been revealed. Like, we didn't, we didn't copy anybody's stuff that we know. And, and we don't even tell you it's the best stuff. I don't know what the best stuff is. But I'm telling you that if you want to be in a holy culture where the presence of Jesus plays, that's called Ignite. It's, it's rocking, powerful stuff. So along the way, we developed this triangle when we're help, trying to help pastors figure out how they can do more than just have devotions. And, um, you know, the, the challenge is that if Jesus is actually head of the church, how would you live that out? And the answer is you would sit with the head of the church and ask him what he wants to do in your church, kind of like Isaiah. That's what you do. So we started with pastors, and then we started realizing, oh, this kind of works in all of life. And so the three pieces of the triangle, which, you know, again, somewhat obvious, I guess, um, and there's a reason we design it this way. People could design it. We've had people take our stuff and turn it whatever you want to do. That's fine. It's a triangle. I can't trademark it. You know, if you trademarked a triangle, it's like, yeah, right, try it again. So this is me. This is my history, dreams, drives, hurts. Etc. This is me right here. This is God, holy, majesty, redeemer, grace, kindness, etc. This is my life. When most people remember that two point, whatever it is, people at 1.8, two point times, whatever it is, they go to church. Most people do life, I probably need to change colors so you can see it better, like this. They do life, they try to figure out their life and occasionally they go to church. So they go to church on a Sunday and they hear David speak and they think, dude's good. 
They hear the worship. The worship's good. Kid, my kid's ministry's good. Okay, that's cool. You coming back? Yeah. But next week, we got ball practice. But I'll be back. And the next week, oh, by the way, it's uh, Labor Day weekend, so we're going to go to the mountains for a little bit. But we'll be, we'll be back. We'll be back. That's what happens. So when their world starts having challenges and tr- struggles and things, they, where'd they go to self-help? You know, so they're kind of, it's, sorry about this, but that stupid counseling, stupid. You know, it's like, I don't know what to do with my kids. You don't do it with your kids. So let's just get together and gripe about them because that's all we know to do, right? And husbands do that against wives and all that kind of crazy stuff. This is, this is how most people do life like that. What we're going to suggest to you is you ought to do life like this. So I bring my stuff to God, and I bring my life to God. And my stuff is my history, so when I feel like I was hurt, I can bring that to God. When my life gets overwhelming, I bring that to God. When I have joys, I bring that to God. So you do life, what we'd say, stop going up and down the left side of the triangle, go to the right side of the triangle, and you do most of it right here at what we call the bottom of the triangle. And when you do your life at the bottom of the triangle in the presence of the Lord, that's when you can bring all of your life into His presence. You can start asking Him, what about my finances? You can start asking Him, again, I had a, just to tell you real quick, I had a, a pastor that was in my state of Florida, and he has a small church, and one of the major givers was going to leave. So once again, I've been in this practice, so I sit with the Lord and say, what do you want to tell me to tell this pastor? And he said, tell him he does not get to live in an ivory tower. Matthew 6.33, if he lives it, he can speak it. Matthew 6.33, seek first the kingdom, his righteousness. So he said, pastors think, they, they feel like if they didn't have to deal with money, then they would, they'd be okay and they could lead the ministry. Everybody deals with money. Who doesn't deal with money? If you can't figure out how to trust God in your money, you got nothing to say to the people. I don't know. I guess he shows up. I, I don't know. The point is, you have to keep bringing your life up and down this way. And you do that, again, we would suggest to you, it's helpful if you journal, but if you don't journal, that's fine. The only thing I would say to you about journaling is this. When God speaks to you, why don't you write that down and put a date by it? Because it gets pretty cool when you start having a track record of what he said to you. And if, I, if we had the time, if I took you through the first, the minute he said to me, I want to do something different in your leadership, my world started changing right after that because I dated it. So I can give you the promises. Actually, I can tell you that the Ignite beginning, which now I told you is 50 or 60 pastors, whatever that is, one day I'm, I'm sitting in the presence of the Lord, and he said to me, I want you to pray about speaking in front of other people. I said, man, that's weird. Everybody wants to do that and make money. That's just crazy. He said, yeah, except for your group, you're going to speak in front of small groups of people. What? And it's about culture, dated in my journal. And I said, okay. So I wrote it down. That night I said to Sheila, I had the weirdest thing today. The Lord told me to pray about speaking in front of small groups of people. She said, why would you want to do that? I said, I have no idea. I don't know that I do. So I make that note. Seriously, that's dated in my journal. And three years later, there's 60 leaders in small groups of five that I'm leading in the Ignite thing. 
What are the odds of that? So when I read that back, I read my journal there, it's like, my word, that's what you were telling me to pray for. Wow. In the same season, the Lord gives me a download one day. I'm sitting in His presence, and He starts talking to me about a network. And I start, you know, it's always stimulated by something, right? So anyway, I'm writing down this network. I get, kind of get done. At the end of it, I'm understanding I'm not supposed to do everything in the network. And I said, well, that's not a problem. We're not doing anything right now, so I don't see where that's a problem. And now there's 50 or 60 leaders, and I can't lead them all. So I have teammates. Hmm. Wonder what we're doing here. I was given the word in 2014 and 15 that now becomes real in 2016 and 17 and 18. In 2016, in the fall, I had... We had two, at that point, two Florida ministry ignites where we had five groups of people in, in each of them. Again, mentoring them in this same stuff I'm processing with you. And so every week, they have to, every month we meet, we don't meet every month, every other month, they have to bring their journal and they have to tell us what the Lord is talking to about. At first, we give them questions. After a while, it's like, okay, you kind of got it. You don't need our questions anymore. They have to come. They have to share that. It was changing their lives. And I wrote in my journal in 2016, in December. Wow, this is rocking the world. We need to have 50 pastors go through this. And he said, not enough. And I said, okay, what's a number? Because <laughs> I don't want to be the wrong number here. And it came to be about 200 is what I understood. 18 months later, we had 55 pastors. I guess that probably was a little short. That's his dreams, my dreams. Again, I'm saying to you that when you listen to the Lord, you don't know what you're going to hear, right? By the way, you, when you, I need to tell you this first, so I'll just keep doing this and I'll do the other thing so I don't forget. You probably can't read that because that's my note, but if you can, that's cool too. So this is, this is what it means to sit in the presence of the Lord. You bring yourself and your life and you bring it to the presence of God and you just start asking questions. But you have to include Scripture. Because you don't get to just telling what you want. You also have to be quiet and say, what do you want to say? And most of the time, a lot of time, he speaks through the Scripture. Um, so then, so sometimes you just read the Scripture to say, show me your kingdom. Just show me. I don't, I don't understand it. Because, by the way, you live in America. You don't live in the kingdom. I don't mean that insulting. I'm simply saying most of us have been discipled in the American culture, not in the kingdom culture. So our discipling is avoid, avoid suffering. The kingdom culture is suffering has destiny. Now that'll do something inside your gut when you start processing that. In, the, in our world, you get all you can and can all you In the kingdom, you sacrifice. Now that's different. So you have to start. That's why you have to have the scripture because it reveals the kingdom. Or otherwise, you're just following your own kingdom, really. That's what you're doing. Okay, thoughts, questions? I have one more, I have a couple more things I can throw with you, but I don't have to do any of them. What's your note? Discipleship? Yeah. Um, so we have defined discipleship. So here's the next thing. I told you at Grace River, we tried to get a church plant off the ground, and they tell you you got to do this, and you got to do that, and you got to do 3,000 things, none of which I'm good at. Why in the world I'm planting this church? Who knows? But in the crash, the Spirit finally uh, gets me to listen. It was a very painful season, really painful. But eventually, 
as our church crashed, we made a decision to say, we're going to go out with this fight. We're going to build, we're going to bet the farm that if we build leaders, spiritually holy leaders will win the game. And if we're wrong, we lost already anyway, so it doesn't matter. Uh, what do you have to lose? <laughs> Nothing here. So, so we turned the corner and started actually creating. So the dream of Grace River is what if we could create 500, listen carefully, disciplers. Not disciples. Disciplers, people who could do the discipleship. If we could create 500 disciplers, we could change the world. And so, if you're going to do that, you kind of go, well, what in the world's a discipler, right? That's, that's actually the next question. Do they go to church regularly? That's what you're calling? So then you'd want a 500 attendance. No, that's not what we're calling. So the three things that we think are a disciple that we have defined is, first, they hear the voice of Jesus. You know, what that means, again, is I'm, I've been walking, so I'm sensitive that when he speaks. Do I get it wrong? Sometimes I do, sure. But, I, but I'm not saying, is that me or Jesus? I don't ever ask that question. Don't ask that question. If the Holy Spirit tells you that's the wrong direction, shut it down. Otherwise, don't, don't deal with that. Did you ask him to speak? And then, then you say, I'm not sure that's you. Hello, help me out. You asked me to speak, now I speak, and then you're arguing with me. Stop it. So don't do that. Just go ahead and just assume that if there's something, a big sense in you, a sense that He's speaking, a scripture comes to your mind, or a direction, just assume it's Him and say, I'm going to assume that's you until you tell me it's not. And, and He knows how to talk to you. Like He knows your address. He knows your name. He can tell you that's not, what, that's not me. Right? I mean, he, there's different ways to do that. And if you have any questions, then you just slow down and say, I'll obey you, but I'm not sure that's you. And so you just learn to kind of do that. So a disciple to us, number one, is they actually can hear the Spirit. They can actually, Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. So apparently he has a voice and you can hear. I mean, that's kind of foundational to that verse. So if he has a voice and you can hear, then the, one of the pieces of a relationship with anybody is paying attention and listening. So we would say the number one factor is they, well, they're not in order, but the number one factor here is the voice of Jesus. I can hear the voice of Jesus. I know when He's speaking to me. The second factor, I process my life in the kingdom. Which is the Scripture. So how do I deal with my marriage issues? I have to bring it to the Scripture. How do I deal with my desire to be successful? I have to bring that to the Scripture. I let Him tell me what it means to be successful. I have to ask Him, why do I have this fire to be successful? What is that about? And again, you know, if you want to go in psychology, they can say your parents gave that to you and all that kind of mess. I just have a question. Is the power of God bigger than your parenting? I think probably it is. And did God make you? And did He give you those parents? Get over blaming your parents. Get into the kingdom. So it's, it's processing your life in the kingdom. So I told you, we have 25 to 28, whatever the number is. I need to go back and do another recount of leaders. I call them leaders, people who do this kind of thing. So one of my guys that I had been mentoring and how to do this stuff, and so he walks into the men's group one day, and this is the first thing he says. 
Did you guys know there's a lot of suffering in the kingdom of God? I, I didn't know that. He said, in fact, all my life I've tried to escape suffering. Except for I've, the Holy Spirit told me to read Peter. Remember, I've discipled him in this stuff. But I didn't tell him to read Peter. He starts reading Peter and starts realizing, in fact, he's, he said the other day, I had to read it twice and got to the last page in the, la in the second time and I hit suffering and I thought, oh my word, that's what you wanted to say to me and I had to read it a third time. So I'm sitting in this group of guys, most of them 30 years old, and he says, did you know that the kingdom of God has a lot of suffering? He said, all my life I've tried to avoid it. He said, but then the Lord told me to read Peter and, and I... I got to figure this out. Somehow or other, this suffering is a part of the kingdom. This is a 30 year old CEO saying those kinds of words. That's processing your life in the kingdom. That's when you begin to say, okay, I'm on a different gate, different pace than you. I need to figure out your pace and figure out how to get there. When you process your life in the kingdom, sometimes you read the scripture first and you ask God, what do you want to say to me? Sometimes he will bring a voice of scripture to you and you'll go read that like I told you in the My Grace is Sufficient. But this is cool. Let me tell you this one. Romans chapter 2, 1 and 2, somewhere in through there. It's been a while since I read it. The scripture says that the kindness of God, the kindness I think it is and forbearance, it's, yeah, it's, it's God's kindness and forbearance leads to repentance. I'm reading that verse one day and I'm thinking, so forbearance is when you really want to pop me and you decide not to. You hold back. But you hold back the anger. And then I start to worship. It's like, I'm sure there are many times you're very disappointed in me. And you held back punishing me. It's pretty cool. And that led me to repentance. Wow. And then the bomb dropped. Because the Spirit said to me, I wonder if you'd be willing to join me in forbearing for others so they could see the consequence of your sin in the, of their sin in your life. Because when Jesus was on a cross, their sin was seen. Would you be willing to suffer like that so that people can see what their sin does? And I said, I don't know how to do that. I got no idea how to do that. I know me, God, the best I can tell you is I get passive aggressive, right? I just shut down, but I'm mad. I don't know how to do that. But if you'll show me, I'll follow you. Because that's all I know to do. Sheila came downstairs and I shared with her what I just shared with you. And she said, wow, I don't know how you do that. <laughs> I said, I don't either. But apparently in my role as pastor and some of the things I'm supposed to do, it fits. 
So I just got to figure out, how does a person do that? How do you receive a punch and give grace? How do you do that? And again, we can coach each other, but you have to coach me right here. You're going to have to get me at the bottom of the triangle. You're going to have to say, Ken, the only way you're going to be able to do that is when you meet in the presence of God and he shows you what he's doing in that person's life and ask you to join him, not me. I, he doesn't join me. I join him in, in enduring the pain. So the person can experience grace, unearned love. Wow, that looks like an evangelistic opportunity, don't you think? The discipleship to us, is I can hear the voice of Jesus. So in the scripture that day, when he spoke to me and said, would you join me? That was me processing my life in the kingdom. And then I said, okay, I don't know how to do it, but I'm willing. And the third piece of discipleship for us is I can help you do that. So if, I can, if I can help you do that, if I can help you do that, then I can make a disciple from me to David to the next person and the next person disciples, and that's how we'll get 500. It's not me doing 500, because that's never going to happen. And at Grace River right now, there are people two out and three out that are being discipled. Now, I'm there every Sunday, not every Sunday, I'm there most Sundays, and so they know me. It's a smaller church, as you can hear, and... So it's not, but, but, but some of these people have been mostly discipled by this family or by that family, not by me. But I discipled these people who are now discipling that person. And so I have the same, the presence of God culture in me has been given to them and they're with him and then he's with them and that's how it goes. Questions, thoughts? Probably like, whew. What in the world did you say in all that mess? What I hope you heard is if you chase his heart, he'll show up. That's the biggest thing. So a real quick story about Grace River. I told you in 2013 and in tw early 2014 in the fall and the spring or winter of 2013 to 14, that transition, we were running about 115 people and a bunch of people moved and, uh, and a couple people, some people left because they were angry at how the church was going, and I would have loved to have joined them, but I, I'm the pastor, so I couldn't have. But I totally got why they left. It's like, heck, I'd leave. I think it's a mess. Um, it was hard, and so we lost givers, and we lost hands, putting the thing up and tearing it down, all that stuff. In, uh, in the summer of that year, by that point, remember in June, that was 2014 in June, the Spirit said to me, you're going to stay at the church, and you tell people... You do life with me and tell people how you do it. So in the summer of that year, I got just a few people in my house, 11 other people. There were 13 of us. And I started meeting with those 13 people once a month. And, and those people became the disciples of the next generation. And that's what happened. And so those 13 are now about 35, 32 to 35 adults that show up at our leaders meeting. And they've all been connected in discipleship somehow. And that was five years to get that far. It was really slow. I mean, it was really slow. So we don't have the biggest church, but we have a church lit up with God's presence. And so therefore, it's fun. In fact, uh, the conversation with David and I, um, again, he's such a wild thinker 
that in uh, April of this year, the Holy Spirit said to me, Grace River is supposed to be a sending church, an apostolic hub. And I said, okay, I don't know what we're talking about, but I'm in, let's figure it out. So I start praying about it, and there's some other pieces. I mean, I can talk to you about it, but it takes a long time. And then there's pieces throughout, through April all the way through the summer to the end of the summer. Some different things happen. And, and one of the places we've done this Ignite with pastors was in Chicago. And the pastors did not want to pay the price. Like, do not waste my time. Go do what you want to do. This is crazy. They, wouldn't, they didn't do their journaling. They had nothing to say. It's like, okay, I'm bored to death for the stuff you're... You're saying that's from the Lord? That's ridiculous. You went to Sunday school. Go back to Sunday school. Go ahead. So I got so frustrated that in June, I wrote, I'm praying with the Lord, and I said, I don't know what to do to help these leaders. They don't want to pay the price. Then I had this thought, I need to take one of my key leaders to Chicago, who's a layperson, and sit him in the room and say to these guys, by the way, you get paid to do this. He doesn't, but why don't you ask him how God speaks to him? So I did it. I didn't say that first part. (laughs) But I did say the last part. Why don't you ask him how he hears from the Spirit? And he starts telling stories of how the Lord reinterpreted his work situation, discipled him to disciple his wife, how she starts hearing the voice of the Spirit. And he's, I mean, I'm just saying, what's the next story? Okay. And prodding, prodding, prodding. So he's there. And then we, and I have this dream, or just, I think it's a God dream. We're supposed to somehow connect to Europe. Like, how are we going to do that? I don't know. I have a conversation with your pastor, and we start saying, you know, wonder what it'd be like if I could bring some lay people to churches like yours to say, ask them how they do it. Ask them how they do it. And, you know, we cross-pollinate. I mean, we're about where you are in the church. Um, So, I mean, Lord have mercy, we've been at it longer than you. (laughs) We should be way ahead, but we're not. but, you know, the thing is, it'd be fun to get the people in the room to say, well, how do you hear the voice of God? And just, you could hear some of our people say, man, sometimes I get it, and sometimes I don't know. But the bottom line is, I would say to you, if you want to see a church be a kingdom church, not trying to grow its own self-esteem, not trying to be the hot shot place of the earth, You start developing people who hear the voice of Jesus, who process their life in the kingdom, and then you just start showing them how they can help other people do that. And when you do that, you'll start multiplying. Last story. So Saturday. So this this extension thing, like if I were to, I'm sitting with the Lord, sometimes I just kind of, what you might call doodle, like I'll just sit and start thinking about it and start making notes. Is it like this, God? Is it like this? What do you want to tell me about Ignite or Grace River or Florida Ministries? So I'm, I'm making these charts in my prayer time about if we were to send people to different churches, I would send these people to this people. And this Europe thing, I think I'd send these people. And while I'm having that doodling, the Spirit says to me, you need to get to Sean Case and disciple him because he's ready. So I write it down there. Get a hold of Sean Case and see if he wants to go into the discipleship. I met with him Saturday. And I also thought, I need to bring another friend, one of my other people at Grace River, because if I do it, nobody knows what I did. So I contacted this one guy, and I said, hey, I'm going to talk to Sean Saturday. You want to come with me? He said, yeah. So we met at Panera. So we're in Panera, and about September the 8th, I baptized this guy and told him I thought God had a destiny in front of everybody. I think God has a special destiny for you. Saturday, I said, 
We both think you have a destiny. And if you're ready to chase it, I can help you. That's a high call. You have two guys sitting there and you're 30 years old and they're telling you, we see greatness in you. Do you want to chase God's heart? Because we'll help you. I mean, he's sitting there and says, wow, I got a lot to think about. The next morning, Sunday morning, I thought, what a rocket to be able to do this kind of stuff. And just imagine what happens if Sean says yes. Well, whatever my number was, it just went up one. Oh, he's married. It'll go up two. Just give it time. Because when the husband leads, the wife will usually follow if he chooses her. And so then out it goes. And what are we going to teach him? Triangle. How do you do it? So when we meet, it'll be questions like, what are you processing? Where's frustrations in your life? We need to figure out what the king says about that. How's your marriage going? What's the king say about that? What's your, what's your economics like? What's the king say about that? That's, that's processing in the kingdom.